PC Perspective videos and podcasts are sponsored by Be Quiet and the all-new PureBase 500DX case. Featuring three PureWings 240mm fans, ARGB lighting, and USB 3.1 Gen 2 Type-C connectivity, the PureBase 500DX is optimized for maximum airflow with a sleek yet elegant design. Available now in black and white. Hey everyone, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 584 being recorded Thursday, April 30th, 2020. Oh wow, end of April already. Mm -hmm. uh, under the hat here, which as the chat has guessed is hiding a disastrous self-haircut, is Jim Tannis. Glad to be here. And joining us we have the rest of the crew. Yep, Jeremy Hellstrom that doesn't cut his hair. I, I am Sebastian. I had a home haircut recently. Uh, and I'm Brett Van Spruenberg. My home haircut is about an hour old, and um, I guess you could just call me Low Bitrate Brett tonight. Yeah. So if you're if you're on the uh, video version, and hopefully not the audio, hopefully the audio will hold up. But you'll notice Brett is uh, looking a little pixelated. Uh, we're having some bandwidth issues, so we'll just uh, deal with it as we can, and hopefully it'll hold up faking. for us. Um, I was faking that part. Oh well, it still looks <laughs> it still looks terrible. I mean, thanks. Your picture is. <laughs> You look like shit, Brett. I'm sorry. Awesome. But that's great. Uh, no, that's you wouldn't be able to tell oh, if I was here in real life. So. <laughs> but thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, we record these uh, shows live either Wednesday or Thursday night most week. Uh, most weeks. Uh, Josh, uh, of course, couldn't be with us tonight. It's a Thursday, so it's, it threw him off his game. So uh, he's he's doing well. He'll be back uh, next week. Uh, but we're here to uh, to give you a show. And I just wanted to start off, uh, you know, we, we talk about our Patreon uh, campaign over at patreon.com slash PCPer, and uh, uh, we really uh, appreciate everyone's support there. And uh, normally we mention the names of people who donate during the show live, and if we do that, you can get a, a shout-out or send a message in. But we had a number of uh, new contributors come in over the week, so I just wanted to mention those folks. Uh, so a very special thank you to our new Patreon, Patreon contributors, uh, Peter D., Chris Willis, Edward Reagan, Christopher Ray, and Jared Knowles. So thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. And uh, if you do want to send a message, if, you, if, you've, if you're one of those guys or if you become a new contributor and you want to send a message uh, uh, to have me read something, just uh, send the message through Patreon or send me a tweet or whatever. But uh, all right. Uh, I just want to warn everyone I'm not feeling great. I'm coughing, kind of winded. Uh, hopefully don't have the Rona. We'll see. But uh, uh, I may have to pause or or mute myself here as we go, but uh, let's get into the show. Uh, it's time. Uh, Intel, we've been talking about Intel's uh, newest desktop processors, the 10th Gen Core stuff. Uh, the specs have leaked. There's been rumors about PCIe 4 and all this stuff. Well, it's official now. Uh, Intel has announced the their latest lineup of desktop core processors. Uh, Sebastian, take us through what Intel announced. Well, uh large number of them. This is the 10th gen. It's basically, if you remember just a couple weeks ago, we were talking about Comet Lake H. This is the desktop version of Comet Lake. So this is not the new architecture that we were expecting for desktop a year or two ago for the 10th gen. They are making the most of what they have. They're still on 14 nanometers. It's still a Skylake derivative. 
but that wasn't really talked about a lot, obviously, and you're not going to see that on these slides. So this is an iteration on the ninth generation. So they've increased core counts. They've added hyper-threading throughout the entire lineup. So as we had heard rumored for a long time, everything from a Core i3 through a Core i9 is hyper-threaded now. Kind of the answer to Ryzen desktop, more cores, faster clock speeds. So everything from, well, we'll start at the top. The flagship part that gets the most attention from this announcement, of course, is the Core i9-10900K. Now, the, the clock speeds are sort of variable on this as we saw with the flagship uh, 10980HK part on mobile and also using thermal velocity boost. So it's it's specific parameters. You have to be within certain thresholds as far as like uh, available power, thermal headroom. And you can actually hit 5.3 gigahertz. It's either single core or two cores that can hit that. I'm not sure exactly. And then otherwise it's turbo... Boost Max 3.0 frequency is 5.2. So this is still faster than the 9900K. And all core boost with thermal velocity boost. Max is out at 4.9 without overclocking. So we're close to the level of a 9900KS, uh, depending on your situation, cooling, and so forth. But in a processor that's 10 cores, 20 threads instead of 8 cores, 16 threads. That's the big thing. Uh, the the top of the stack now is is 10 and 20 and then the core i7 so basically the drop-in replacement for the 9700k that i've been using for the last year in the gpu test bench is now the i7 10700k and that almost looks like it's going to be a replacement for the 9900k at a much lower price so it's eight cores 16 threads and basically Everything else would looks about the same. The The TDP looks higher. The TDP, they are actually listing as 125 watts for both of these parts, the i9 and the i7 I mentioned. So that goes up. Uh, I don't know if that's just because they're targeting higher clocks with this. I'll have to look into. Usually TDP with Intel is uh, base clock, all cores, and they, they hit a power target. So it could be they're being more aggressive with base frequencies on these. And if you look... It actually goes pretty significantly far down the lineup. Uh, I put four slides in here of just new parts, and it literally goes all the way down to a, a $42 Celeron G5900T part that's dual core. Very exciting. But one of the things I noticed, uh, or that you will notice if you look at these charts, is memory speeds go up uh, from 2666 official support. Again, this is... Obviously, XMP, you can run 3200 and up easily on these, but uh, on any existing ninth generation part, but official support goes up to 2933. So that kind of matches what we saw. I think that matches the notebook speed now and high-end desktop. So just little things. They're doing what they can to eke out as much performance as they can from these. So clearly, it's going to be interesting to see what the clock speeds are like. I don't know if anybody else looked at the slides or saw this announcement when they talked about thermals and overclocking capabilities. Uh, did you see anybody, the the new thin die? We yeah. certainly almost, did. Yeah, they're grinding it down for you. So now instead of having to delid your processor and grind down the die, they've already done it. And they're using a thin die and they're using, uh, it's soldered again to the uh, IHS, but it's a thicker uh, IHS. Uh, but the overall, you have to redo all you, your heat sinks. Well, the overall girthiness still remains the same, though. Yeah. That's important to note. Right. 
yes. so that your mounting so that, pressure is is equalized. Just want to make and sure the, people understand the, that. In theory, wouldn't the thicker IHS make it? Uh, wouldn't that offer better heat dissipation? In theory, yeah, it's as ma- long as it's, it's good mass material. Yeah, yeah. We've run so, into bad materials in the past. Yeah, I didn't see them actually announce the material. I thought I heard it was copper. Maybe it was just I was watching the Derbauer video and he was kind of comparing the, the chips. He has one of these in hand, but he wasn't allowed to talk about performance. But he was showing them and showing the backs of them and like the, all the little integrated components and things. And that was one of the things he mentioned. I thought he mentioned it was copper and he's delitted these things before. So hopefully yeah. the better thermals allow for a little bit more overclocking headroom. These are super hot. Like the ninth generation chips, obviously very, very warm processors and if they're relying on thermal velocity boost to hit the higher numbers it's going to need every bit of help it can get especially with the new higher tdps so by the way elephant in the room about these these are not drop-in replacements i kind of casually use that term if you have a ninth generation processor and are interested in upping your core count you're not going to be able to unless you also buy a new motherboard because they went with a new package this time this is lga 1200 and it's going to require new motherboards, which were also announced. There's a, a ton of new boards coming from every one of the usual suspects. Z490 will replace Z390. There's an H470, a B460. And now, we're, you know, we're getting into that territory where it starts to sound so close to what AMD has. It's even more confusing. B460, first, really? B550. <laughs> well, yeah. AMD Intel released the Z490. Yeah, two, three years back, they they abandoned it. But yeah, we're literally that close into the naming schemes now. It's it's to help customers make informed decisions about product comparisons. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we could get into a couple of things, but yeah, go ahead, Brett. Well, from an overclocking perspective, it used to be, you know, you really couldn't do it on much more than their 90 or the 70 series, right? But the, there's a potential rumor out there that they might be bringing, just like AMD is doing, maybe bringing overclocking capabilities to something other than their highest end chipsets. I don't know if it's true or not, but rumors out there anyway. That, that might be good. Yeah. And it, it seems totally un- unnecessary to force a new platform on people with this particular generation it the more i i watch coverage of this and and reread information that we have the more it looks like this was almost like a fall black fallback like a, they had this is their plan b or c and lga 1200 there were all these rumors about it in fact i believe it was on a live stream video cards or somebody retweeted something about gigabyte announcing as they tend to do on their live streams, they're very informative to the detriment of, you know, the NDAs they probably have signed about internal information that they're privy to, including the fact that PCI Express 4.0 is built in. Like there is support baked into these boards. That was, there was a rumor for a reason, but this particular CPU launch does not enable it. But the 11th gen will which they're not saying, and people under NDA who ask questions in the meeting can't say if that was even answered. But ultimately, Gigabyte came forward and said, yes, 11th generation processors have PCIe 4. Now, the PCH, the actual chipset here, that is not a listed function. So presumably, if 11th gen comes out and is LGA 1200, which is what this was built for. Which they're pretty much saying it is. 
Yeah. But Rocket League then, can be 1,200. Yep. Yeah. When's the so last time Intel like, let you go yeah. through two, like a full architectural change and keep your motherboard? Was it like one? This is very different for them. Mm-hmm. So that's very yeah. nice it's to been, see. Well, but also this is going to be a very short product cycle. Fair. It's Rocket League is coming soon. Yeah. So you're saying people are getting sick of Skylake? Uh, I mean, it, I'll say it. It, oh, it's, come now. The plus sign is great. It's very, very know. optimized. They really... You it's, know. it's a very mature process. Yes. Um, Did I mention the higher memory frequencies? Because of all the, you know, 2933 memory that's sold. Uh, sure. Yeah. But, hey, you know, it's it's got some enhancements. So if, if you're annoyed at the prospect of having to buy a Z490, take heart because apparently... It's going to be future-proof at least a half generation ahead, and then it has some extra features thrown in, like uh, 2.5G networking. Uh, Intel has that solution now baked into it, and they also have uh, Wi-Fi six, the latest Wi-Fi six, the AX two hundred one gig plus. So the same thing they did with laptop. They're they're trying to sell the whole platform. It's not just about the CPU. It's the you know the best networking. No ten G built in, but you know, 2.5, if you can find any equipment to make use of that. There's but, some. Hey, I applaud the yeah. inclusion of 2.5G on the on the board. I, I've, I'm yeah. suffering with one gigabit here. So, yeah, give, give, give me something at least, please. Not that I'm going to buy one of these, but I'd like to think I might. Hey, a lot of boards already have 2.5, but it's not an Intel solution. So it's, I mean, it's right. an, actually, I think yeah. if you look at the spec, there are lot of these multiple are Intel yeah, most of them are real tech. I think that a couple of the newer Intel technically do support 2.5. It's just, I think this is the first chipset that's actually going to support that natively um, with the PHY. But uh, what was the other thing? Oh, yes, with that Core i7, this is something, that, or the Core i9. They They claim more than once in their press release and in the slide deck that the new i9-10900K is the quote, world's fastest gaming processor, end quote. There were some other claims too. And by the way, if you haven't seen it already, look at the first minute or two of Jer Bauer's video. Watch the whole thing. It's great. But his video from, I think, today, talking about the new processor. the original German, right? Yes. You got to watch it in the original German. Yeah. Well, there's a cameo from Steve Burke from Gamers Nexus. It's pretty fun. Of course. The two of them made a little (laughs) sketch together. Uh, uh, basically mocking the claims about gaming performance with the processor. It, but it it's no, no secret that at the settings that they choose to test games with the equipment they use to test games, mm-hmm. that they do have the fastest processor for gaming, at least in the 25-plus games that they test at the settings that they test them. It, it's... I try to avoid... Now, yes. Look, I Thank think you're you, underselling Jeremy. the fact that they're faster than a 7700K, but, but in their own documentation. I mean, all you got to do is read. They it. are. Ooh. Yes, I. I yeah. And that's, I that's something to crow about. Accurate. Yeah, I think that my ancient 7700K that I bought just to do mm-hmm. cooler testing for whatever yep. reason would probably not perform as well as this. Just right. given the clock speeds, it's the same architecture, okay. but the yeah, clocks. Yeah. Did you note they were all underwater? Half dozen clock speeds. Did you see they were are all they underwater, underwater as well? 
They are all That's underwater, all except they? for one. <laughs> except for one. I don't remember which one it was, but if you pull the last slide, it's uh, they're all under. They're all water cooled, except That's for one. Beautiful. I don't remember which one. Huh. But uh, you know, if if you pair a processor as powerful as the ninety nine hundred K S, the Ryzen nine thirty nine fifty X, and this new ten nine hundred K, which were the three they compared against each other in their own internal benchmarks, with a RTX twenty eighty Ti. Of course. At 1080p, it is the fastest gaming processor processor of those three. Hmm. When you're why talking not 960p? about 960p, why why not 960? I mean, why not? I, mean, I that, think that seems better. Look, Brett, I <laughs> sense a little bit of sarcasm there, but they're <laughs> testing at the world's most popular resolution for gaming. I'll have you know. Okay. Okay. And and with the world's most popular graphics card, because as many as 0.76% of Steam survey users, hardware survey users, use an RTX 2080 Ti. This is information that's at least, at least within the last week or so, it was 0.76% of all Steam users were rocking an <laughs> RTX 2080 Ti. And well over 60, 70% of people use 1080p monitors. So I think that the correlation is there. If this, just look at statistics. Numbers mm. don't lie. And if sure. 0.76% are using a 2080 Ti and 70 to 80% are using 1080p, then there's got to be somebody who's using a 2080 Ti and a 1080p monitor. And if you're that person, you will have the fastest frame rates of anyone else in the world in certain games. Yeah. And it was interesting. And you can run. Uh, all, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, and you can run audio cleaning up software at the exact same time and not even suffer. Oh, yeah. Real, real time audio clean. Yeah. 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 And no and drop actually, frames. Speaking of that, let's pause for a second. Uh, Sebastian, I don't know if you guys can hear it. I think RTX voice is being naughty. I'm what do hearing, you mean it's not working? I'm, right? I'm hearing some distortions in your voice, the level changes, like, like intermittent peaks, and it, it, there's some, something's funky. Could you try? I wonder if it that's off? me. I can. No. I have to switch audio source. We can pause. I can yeah, switch we'll just, audio we'll sources. Pause. We're might be me clicking the mouse and then it not properly accounting for that. Uh, I don't know. It, it could be. Usually, usually so. your dulcet tones come through a lot more smoother than this. So I'm going to say okay. that. Let me change sources. Changing sources. If I can. And while, while, while we wait for that, uh, let me, uh, again, welcome back. Uh, now a frequent visitor to our YouTube chat, uh, adult Peter superstar, North. Peter North. You know, yeah. So a big hand for Peter. Absolutely. No, maybe not a hand. He's, he's maybe not a big hand. Big maybe you. Yeah. So if, if that big, is you, sir, uh, big. kudos and welcome. You, you, are, uh, uh, you are an artist. Yes. <laughs> Who are you welcoming in? Is this Jordan again? Uh, no, we were, no, we were just uh, saying hi to our good friend Peter North, who's back in the YouTube chat. Oh, lovely. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, uh, yeah, you sound, you sound better so far. So hopefully that'll... Okay. RTX hold. voice experiment number one. And uh, I did not see vMix as an officially supported application. It so, is not. Yeah. I mean, so, it shouldn't well, matter there's... because it's intercepting the signal before it goes exactly. off to the... Actually, on that note, though, I did notice it introduced a slight delay between your voice and video. That's on, so, that's that's not possible. That's obviously your equipment on your okay. side. All right, let's oh. get back on track here. So uh, okay. we were so we're, we're talking about oh, right. uh, the uh, the new the new uh, tenth gen processors. One of the things uh, 
and I'm sorry if you mentioned this, Sebastian, because uh, I was coughing there for a bit. But one of the new features is uh, per core per core hyperthreading. Uh, Did not mention will, that. No. Yeah. So it's you're part able of the new to overclocking features. Yes, and you can choose uh, per core to enable or disable hyperthreading, and of course that's important for overclocking because if you want to achieve the fastest frequencies, generally you want to disable hyperthreading. And this would let you choose the, so there's already math going on or, or magic going on that, that picks your, your fastest core. And now you can identify which are your fastest cores and disable hyperthreading on them and boost those up as high as you can get for the single threaded performance and then leave it enabled for, for other, your other cores and have that, that multi-core performance there as well. So that's, that's an interesting feature, a neat feature. I don't know if it would necessarily make it worth upgrading to this generation unless you're well, well behind in terms of hardware, but uh, something interesting going forward in terms of optimizing it, it's performance. It's definitely unique. Uh, I don't know why you wouldn't just disable hyperthreading entirely if you were just trying to get the highest single core speed you could get. Mm. But the, I was also curious about the PEG DMI overclocking. They're, they're enabling you to overclock the PCI Express off of the CPU. It seems like a recipe for stability problems. Historically, well, you are accurate. Yeah, I think, I'm thinking about AGP, like the old days of overclocking frontside bus, and where your AGP would suddenly go from 66 to 100, and a lot, and a lot of chipsets didn't like that. The, there so, were even some PCIs that would let you nudge the frequency because of what clock it was based off of, and oh yeah, it yeah. did not go well. Because <laughs> in theory, you would get more bandwidth off your PCI graphics card, right? Yeah. But but with PCI Express graphics, you know their position obviously is that PCI Express third generation is just fine because your graphics card only needs eight lanes of Gen three, mm. but. Maybe that's not enough. Maybe if you have a graphics card that can take full use of 16 lanes, the answer is give it eight, but then overclock the lanes and overclock the DMI. So who knows? It'll be fun to play around with. They have voltage and frequency curve controls. It's a new user interface. It's very pretty looking. Well, the voltage is worth mentioning. Yeah. Because they've totally redone the, the power delivery because, well, guess what? Now that even the i3s have hyper threading, like, you're looking at totally different power envelopes all the way across and mm -hmm. with this granular overclocking and, and voltage as well. So almost all the boards that I saw are at least uh, 12 uh, power phases, some of them more. And almost all of them have at least one active cooling fan, if not more. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what effect that has, uh, not just on like obviously it's going to have an effect on the sound that your system is making if you leave them on, but you know, what is this effect? Is this going to have on tweaking the power up just a little bit to try and get that little bit more overclock? Is it actually going to let you do that? Or is it just going to be, you know, significantly more stable uh, all the way across the board? Because I mean, some of these chips uh, at 125 Watts are just, you know, super power hungry, but even the core i threes that you're used to, or even the Core i5s, they are going to be sucking more juice overall than you're used to because of the fact that they're all multi-threaded. So I'm, one of the things I'm interested in is how well this has been implemented and what, what do we see with the PDWMs in that? Actually, speaking of i3s, it's funny to look down the product stack. And of course, we can't talk about this without talking about the Ryzen 3 3100 and 3300X that were announced recently that are coming soon mm -hmm. that are going to offer 
99 to $120 price points for these quad core hyper, or not hyper threaded, but SMT parts. And they're 65 watts. And looking at the Core i3 10100, the 10100 from Intel, that's four cores, eight threads, has a 1K tray price of $122. So it'll be a little bit higher than that at retail, we assume. But with its clock speeds, 3.6 base, 4.3 boost, that is very close to one of those new Ryzen 3s. And the 122 price, if they can hit that, is very close to the 3300K or 3300X. So there's at least the possibility of some competition there, although AMD is still going to have the price edge, I'm sure. And then the memory support, memory is less of an issue with Intel's architecture, but 2666 is the max official frequency uh, with and, Intel, hey, and of course it's 3200. Don't kick that UHD 630 to the curb. Well, I, yeah. yeah. It needs exactly. all the help it can get. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hey, gra- well, it's included. Graphics. It's there. True. It does, it does quick sync, which is... That, does. That's and what I was I, thinking. Hey, yeah. exactly what I was thinking. If you're building a low-cost system, I will say integrated graphics has its place if you're not doing any gaming. Exactly. Like if you just need to put a system together for your kids to do their homework on. That's right. That's right. And it's, you know, it, that even if it's $10 it's, more for it, the one with integrated it's, graphics, it's still... It's the 100 series. I mean, really. I mean, what are you building? If yeah. It's a $120 chip. Yeah, it's a, it's a good use case. Well, I'm right. just looking at it compared to that 7700K, the damn 7700K. And why don't you turn to page 22? Yeah. And why don't you look at it? It's right there. Still sells used for $300. Uh, Why don't you sell your 10? Don't you have 10 of them? I I only have one that I bought with my own money that I will be selling as soon as I'm done retesting it. But uh, the 10300, I'm just looking at these $122, $143 parts on Intel's chart here, and they probably eclipse the performance of that 7700K at least by frequency, the fact that it's essentially a refined version of the same architecture and has faster memory support, and it's ha- it's less than half the price. So obviously Ryzen did something very good for consumers. It's been extremely disruptive. They don't talk about the competition on these slides uh, very much, unless they're making the claim that they're the fastest gaming processor, for example. Mm-hmm. And you can read in the footnotes a mention of Ryzen 9. But... This is 100% a reaction to Ryzen desktop. Why else would they have increased core count? Why else would they have dropped prices? Because that i9-90... The i9-10900K rolls off the tongue. It does. And that's not even the KF. That's true, the (laughs) KF. KF is probably a better deal. Honestly, if you are somebody who's interested in an enthusiast desktop who'd spend up to $500 on a CPU, not only will you absolutely not be gaming at 1080p, but you would right. probably not be using the integrated UHD graphics 630, so you could save yourself a few bucks and get the KF, which has the exact same clock speeds, same mm-hmm. core count, same thermal velocity boost 5.3 gigahertz capability, but no graphics support. and has a trade price of 472. So, I mean, that's it's unfathomable, like even two years ago, to imagine that Intel would ever sell a 10-core, 20-thread part for 472 bucks. Mm-hmm. So, but conversely, all the i3s have gone up about 30%. Yeah. Now, it's True. understandable why, True. but... Yeah, uh, obviously. You know, it, the, the tops come down, the bottoms come up. We'll see if they can get away with it. Because if, if Ryzen 3 comes out and it's just staggering how impressive it is, at, even at the $99 price level... You would think they would have a little bit of a price drop. We saw 
at various times some sort of unofficial price drops happening in the chain in the channel with products like that 9400 the i5 9400 mm-hmm. last year where i saw it at 129 and gave my father-in-law a lovely christmas present by the way when i found it in stock finally at best buy and bought it for him i think for 130 bucks but it's uh it's interesting and the the Z490 thing is is going to be a contentious thing. It's you're going to be able to get away with buying a cheaper board. You could absolutely buy a, an H470 board and run one of the you know like the new i7 or something. Like they, there is a interesting path, especially if your primary concern is 1080p gaming, especially because that's what they they still have an edge in, uh, depending on the power of your GPU. But we could we could talk about <laughs> this, I'm sure, endlessly. And debate the merits of 1080p benchmarking with a 2080 Ti. Right. It, it was interesting. With we the had 630 some... enabled or disabled? Right. That might be important. <laughs> well, they're, they're gaming with the 630 and they're using the 1080, uh, the 2080 for physics. Uh, I thought it was just for audio, audio cleanup. Wasn't it just for audio cleanup during their, the 2080 their Ti is just yeah. for RTX voice. Yeah. In that right. uh, no, they've got two 2080 Ti's, obviously. Oh, and it, one you know what? By the way, you guys voice. did notice the 490 does support SLI. Thank God. Well, of course, yes. <laughs> Brett, um, I've, I just have to say, I noticed your video start starting to clear up. Don't jinx it. Okay. <laughs> I, I, say I had to grab this I was going to say, Brett's video is brought to you by participants on the PC Perspective podcast. All receive this Intel Pocket PC camera. Uh, at or away from your PC, you can enjoy lifelike images and video. This, yes, this digital camera doubles as a webcam, uh, under certain versions of Windows, which include Microsoft Windows 98, 98 SE, or Millennium Edition. You didn't so, tell me not to hook it up. Yeah. Well, you didn't look, say I don't use it. I, I kept this one. The one I sent you was gently used. And I'm sure the the envelope that I sent it in protected it. Yes. See, I don't see any issues. Well, and that was our Sorry. weekly LGR break. And now back to yeah, the PC Perspective <laughs> podcast and modern hardware. That's one of these. But, I'm sure he's uh, an avid viewer of the podcast and will be for We've gotten a double dog dare to do like a retro podcast, by the way. We're, we need to. I made an intro oh, from for it. You did. There's a, yeah, did. a lovely intro. You did. PC Per Rewind intro. It's yeah, amazingly I just, I bit. With Hang it. on, I think I can. Yeah, pull it's it amazingly eight bit. You're gonna play the eight bit intro? Oh my uh, god! I, I've got it right here. First time live going out. But we've never used it. <laughs> we've never done anything to use that yeah. before. You just we did. Will. We will. Yeah. We will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, real, real quick, just just to, to wrap up because we got some comments on it last week as we were talking about the whole gaming thing, fastest gaming processor, and specifically the legit reviews uh, sponsored testing that Intel had done. And some people in the comments, I think I think that we weren't we were misunderstood. We're not saying there's no need to test. We're not saying that the results don't indicate that that is the fastest. In fact, and this is I think Sebastian, you use the word uh, sucks when talking about how to measure this stuff, because we, we ourselves, when we test gaming for CPUs, use lower resolutions to remove the GPU bottleneck. 
But the point is, in in that context, you're you're trying to you're you're crafting a scenario in which you can de- determine a technical difference between two processors. In the context of a marketing piece, where you say this is the best processor for gamers, and you're using a system that costs thirty five hundred dollars with top of the line parts, you're not you're you're no longer looking at a technical thing. You're looking at a practical thing, and even though it does technically check out that they're you know, their processor may score higher overall. It's at, it's under conditions which will never be used by anyone running that system. So that's the point of saying it's it's silly. It's it's almost meaningless. It's, and I was trying to think of an analogy, and it's like you buy a sports car, and you're going to spend $30,000 more for one car that can go, that is the fastest car at 200 miles an hour. But you don't race on tracks. You drive it's street legal. You drive it on the interstate. You're never going to go 200 miles an hour. So the other the car you could have say you know the alternative car is the same performance under conditions in which you'll use it. If that makes sense, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to make an argument because it's it's so it's just a, a it's a weird. There was situation. a day when this mattered. There, yeah. there was a day when mm-hmm. you know a, G, a CPU would actually be a bottleneck in some of these games, and you would say that if you didn't buy above this certain level of processor, you're, you're tossing your money away buying a better video card than this level. And it was one of the, something that we used to do. Uh, AMD did it with the, their hybrid Crossfire, uh, except in that case it was a, an APU paired with a discrete GPU. But still, like this used to be a thing. It isn't anymore. The, the CPU is no longer a bottleneck for graphics. Uh, to be frankly honest, the, the, the laziness of the designers sticking with PCIe 3.0 and not saturating it is probably where we're looking at uh, as being the, 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 the real limit. The, the, yeah, there was a time, but I think it's one of those benchmarks that just needs to go by the side because it it doesn't provide any valuable information to anyone. Right, and, and to it's not a bottleneck above a certain point. If you're running, okay, a, fair. Yeah. Like even nowadays, certain yeah. games are straining mm-hmm. a quad core processor. But if, but again, that's if you create a situation in which a quad core processor of recent vintage can be the bottleneck. Because mm-hmm. if if you are fully GPU well, bound, it's software in the game, dependent. It'll be so- or game yeah. dependent. Yes. In and, case. and it's going Simply to be game, because, right. It's going to be the yeah. Yes, exactly, Brad. It, it, you not like every Ashes game, of Singular. Yeah. And, and a, there you go. And a, Ashes is a... Is a is benchmark a case. despised as a yeah, game. It, it is, but <laughs> yes. Ashes, Ashes is one of those things where it makes use of both. It's almost like a demo. Like, imagine, what was it, the Fire Strike that had the, the GPU test and the CPU test and then the combined test. It's that, yeah. like, elements on the screen are being rendered by the CPU and GPU concurrently. It's kind of like that. If you have a situation like that, then absolutely you will always be CPU bound. To get the highest fire strike score in the combined test, you absolutely need to have a faster CPU. But if you're in a game that is significantly more GPU bound, and we're talking about higher resolutions, if you are pumping out 500 frames per second at 1080p, then yes, your CPU is going to hold you back because God knows we all need to pump out as many hundreds of extra frames our monitors will never display as possible so that all of these dropped frames that never make it into your eyeballs can be rendered in the background 
for no reason other than to say that, hey, we're 540 frames per second on this benchmark 1080p, and they're only 490. And I don't know about you, but my 500 hertz refresh monitor looks buttery smooth with the 9900K and the 2080 Ti in Dota 2 or whatever game it was that was at 540 frames per second. Counter-Strike, go. So Check out my overreactive sync. You will not believe the speed at which the frames you never see are rendered. Yeah, now and there Anything? may be there, these these Twitch yeah. gamers that do those like older games at insane rates. May oh, fine if, if there there may be a case there, but that is such a tiny market. The, the point hey, is, this is Intel marketing, right. obviously, and you are just this fine. is their lead. This is the lead that they have, right? Okay, you are and, just fine buying has, an AMD processor if, for gaming. If you are, if you're not technically savvy, if you're not an enthusiast, because my position is this: if you're an enthusiast. And you're the kind of enthusiast who listens to a podcast like ours and goes and actually reads hardware reviews. This is not the average consumer. This is not even necessarily the top 5% of the population. You might be like a 2%er or a 1%er if you're somebody who actually builds your own PC and studies the differences between components and is always looking to maximize what you can get for your gaming dollar when you're putting together your next system or working on an upgrade. And... For enthusiasts, I can't imagine that an enthusiast would be running uh, the full HD spec from HDTV from like 2000, whatever year that finally went into place, 2005, 2007. The, the UHD standard has has accelerated production of, of 4K panels to the point that it's almost become a commodity. And it seems like it happened almost overnight. In the last couple of years, we've seen 4K monitors drop below $400. And I don't know what the cheapest one available currently is, but I routinely see them from the 329 to 399 range. And it's gotten to the point now where a 1440p monitor is just the, the entry point. It's just this, it, you're not going to find a high refresh rate monitor under 1440p very often. It's generally 2560 by 1440, then your various ultra wide uh, aspect ratios and resolutions. And then you have 4K. And anything above that, you know, there's some professional displays that are 5K that use that LG panel that's in the iMac 5K. And then, of course, there's the fringe case of some of the 8K stuff that exists. But for the most part, if you're an enthusiast and you've got a couple hundred dollars to spend on a monitor, you're buying a 1440p monitor. I can't imagine what the numbers would be for this. And it's it's easy for a marketing department to point to, well, Steam survey results show that... 1080p is by far the most popular gaming resolution. It absolutely is. And a GTX 1060 is by far the most popular graphics card. And it's the most popular graphics card because it's the $200 graphics card. So if you look at 2080 Ti owners, they account for less than 1% in the same surveys that Intel cites. So the, the situation whereby you combine... A 1080p monitor, which is a mainstream choice because it's the standard broadcast uh, resolution choice. That's the commodity that you can buy for $99 with a $1,200 to $1,300 graphics card. You've created a totally unre unrealistic scenario that's compounded by the fact that you're also throwing a $500, a five actually to $750 CPU into the mix because the the Legit Reviews article was specifically... Uh, looking at the performance of a system build using a Ryzen 9 3950X, 749 US dollars, versus the 9900K. Not the KS, right? Just the K? It was the K, yeah. And 
mm-hmm. and the K sells for around 469 I think lately. So around 480 versus 750 and so the, of course the total build cost was slightly lower with the Intel system and they were showing higher frame rates across the board for the most part it was kind of up and down but mm-hmm. only at 1080p and only because they're using a 2080 Ti so it's just it, it to me it's it drives me crazy because yes there's absolutely a problem with benchmarking CPUs against each other to show scaling as in the difference between them. And it would be ideal if you could say, well, you know, if uh, you pair a mid-range GPU with a Core i5 or a Ryzen 5, you're going to get the best performance. But if you move up to like an RTX 2080, you're going to be held back by your CPU. So you're going to want to move up from that Ryzen 5 3600 up to the Ryzen 9 3900X, or else you're going to get lower frame rates because your CPU will be holding your GPU back. That's possibly the case, but only in a situation where either the game is very CPU bound or like you're playing a strategy game, for example, or something that's that like Ashes of Singularity or Civilization Six that traditionally gets better performance with uh, more threads at higher frequencies. But more often than not, if you have the money to buy one of these higher end graphics cards, and you're considering a $500 CPU. You already have the 1440p or the ultra wide monitor or the 4K monitor. And why would you want to game at a blurry interpolated low resolution? Unless then the the next frontier would be you game at 1080p, but you upscale it using GPU scaling and integer scaling looks really nice and it's great. But I still don't think... That that person is spending thirteen hundred dollars on a TI, a twenty eighty TI, to play upscaled ten eighty, unless they're using DLSS. So maybe this is all about DLSS. But you know what? If it was DLSS, if it was RTX on, you'd be GPU bound. You'd be a hundred percent GPU bound at that point yeah. because the fifty or sixty yeah. frames per second your system could possibly muster would be all on the GPU. Your CPU could push out a lot more than that. This is the True. thing, like twenty eighty. 1440p gaming, sorry for ranting, I'll stop in a minute, but 1440p gaming, <laughs> The pro- it isn't that inherently CPU doesn't matter. It's that at this point in our history, a 5700 XT and a, even a 2080 Ti is not pushing so many frames at 1440 Ultra that the CPU just can't keep up. I'm pretty sure, and I'll have to do the testing to back this up, but a 3600K or 3600X from AMD, because I don't have a vanilla 3600, versus a 9900K with everything else being the same, other than the platform board using the same GPU, same driver version, same version of Windows. I'm pretty sure 1440 Ultra is going to be neck and neck between those two systems. I don't think the $200 processor is going to hold you back with that $1,200 or $1,300 GPU if you have a game that's very GPU-bound at very high detail settings, say just max it out. The extreme setting at, on Metro Exodus at 1440 is punishing. That is a grueling test, even at Ultra, which is a step below the extreme detail settings. Just go to Ultra Preset 1440p Metro Exodus DirectX 12. Run that at your on your system at home, and tell me that you're pushing so many frames per second, even if you own a 2080 Ti, that your CPU is the thing holding you back. It isn't. So I I rest my case. 
the horse has been beaten to death. <laughs> you can uh, erase this part. Okay, let's. So we're an hour into the recording here, and we've only done the first topic. So let's talk about <laughs> money. <laughs> it's a new record. It's a new record. And Josh isn't even here to enjoy this because he loves <laughs> when we ramble and take up his time. Uh, can we skim through the earnings then? Yeah, we're just going to touch on this real quick. So in, in the last week, both Intel and AMD had their uh, Q1 2020 earnings uh, reports come in. Uh, we'll start with Intel here, and uh, you can we'll have a link to both reports in the show notes if you want to dive into the details. But the basics are, uh, for Intel, they uh, were, let's see, here we go. They had $19.8 billion in revenue, uh, which was a 23% jump year over year. And uh, they're uh, looking at how that revenue kind of split up the data centric stuff, internet of things and mobile stuff and all that, that was up 34%. Their PC centric uh, business, which is the, you know, the processors and stuff like that uh, and chipsets and all that, that was uh, up 14%. Yes. That number again was 14%. Yes. 14. Sorry. 14.14. Yep. So they were up 14% there. And uh, the, the, issue is with the with the global covid-19 economic crisis a lot of companies are uh rescinding all of their y- total year year uh, guidance for 2020 and intel did that uh so there's some concern that the stock went down even though it was a record or almost a record quarter last quarter was a 20 billion dollar revenue quarter which is their first time in history this was right up there 19.6 or 19.8 uh, so, you know, still looking good, but then looking ahead, they're saying once once everyone's bought their work from home laptops and everything and the economic reality of, of all this madness really sets in and starts to really take a toll, they're they're worried, you know, businesses may not be investing in new servers, uh, consumers may not be investing in new computers. Uh, so looking ahead uh, is, is iffy there. And then we'll look at AMD here. Uh, they had a PDF uh, of their report. And uh, they were, you know, very good as well. Uh, revenue of 1.79 billion, which is a 40% uh, improvement year over year. Uh, their computing and, and graphics uh, division was so that's the Ryzen processors, Radeon stuff. That was up 73% year over year. Analysts had expected 58% improvement, so they've easily exceeded that. Uh, but their enterprise stuff, uh, enterprise embedded and semi-custom, was down 21%. Analysts had expected a Four percent improvement year over year it was down twenty one, and uh, they they uh, they said now like most companies nowadays, public companies who seemingly irrationally don't provide their investors with enough detail, like they don't really break out how that all works. But uh, people initially thought, well, that means Epic wasn't very good then performance for Epic. But AMD said, well, it's mostly just due to consoles because this is the same pool of of revenue that includes the console chips. And with the new uh, consoles, the Xbox uh, Series X and PS5 coming out, people aren't buying the current gen now. So uh, that's where AMD at least said that most of it uh, came from. Now, they... uh, Well, there's that mysterious customer, too. That mysterious customer? Yeah. Lisa Sue would not say who it was, but uh, one of their large cloud customers picked up 10,000 Epic processors. Right. In the space of like think? a week, 10 days. Amazon? Uh, Oracle? Yes. Because uh, they're screwing around with Zoom? Oh, yeah. Right? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Microsoft 
panicking because Teams is not doing well with the sudden increase. I think it was like 6,000% increase uh, yeah. in usage in the course of a couple of months. I mean, honestly, those would be my two best bets. Yeah. But, uh, okay. you know, yeah. it, it could be someone overseas as well. And uh, Lisa didn't rescind the guidance, I see. Uh, yeah, so AMD, no. uh, like, as I just mentioned, how a lot of companies are rescinding their year, total, total year guidance, AMD has not done that. They did adjust it. They had initially uh, predicted a total for all of 2020, uh, a 28 to 30% revenue increase. And they've adjusted that to say now it's between 20 and 30. So it could still be up in near 30, but they're expecting, or, you know, they're, they're being conservative uh, and saying it might be as little as 20, which analysts have suggested is a really good sign that their their guidance was conservative and likely to be accurate. Uh, so, so uh, but by AMD, Jim, is that what is that is that safe? What do you? <laughs> well, we don't give any guidance here. I don't own I know, any, any stocks directly. <laughs> uh, I believe that the majority of analysts who are uh, uh, following AMD have a buy rating on it at the, at this time. Although both I think stocks, I read that too. both companies had their stock go down uh, in the initial aftermath of the results, which is not uncommon. Um, yep. And with the whole with the market in general, you can't you can't make any predictions about a specific company because it's never been crazy. more literal that when someone sneezes, the market crashes or booms. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, good one. Nice. So, uh, yeah. So that's the uh, the the earnings there. I know Josh always likes to uh, you know give some. Uh, some of his thoughts on, on things. And so we'll uh, revisit that next week if he has anything else to say there. Uh, but let's move on to the next story. Uh, we talked about this a week or two ago. There's a controversy brewing with hard drives, uh, primarily Western Digital, and their, their red label NAS drives. And we, we learned or people discovered, uh, I think it started in the data hoarder sub, uh, subreddit, that uh, they were using uh, SMR, shingled magnetic recording. Is that... Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, which is a, a method that allows for lower cost and dense and higher density, but much slower performance. And it's something you definitely don't want on a NAS drive, which has to be constantly communicating with other drives and keeping the array healthy. Uh, so they, they were caught using these in some of the red drives without informing customers. And uh, people, there was a big uproar. And uh, in the last week here, uh, Western Digital has responded. What did they uh, say, Sebastian? Well, they they had this blog post that they put up, and, and the tone of it is kind of sheepish and apologetic. It starts off with, the past week has been eventful, to say the least. As a team, it was important that we listened carefully and understood your feedback about RWD Red NAS drives. And it's, you know, they go on to actually explain which drives use conventional CMR technology in which use shingled magnetic recording technology, SMR. And it's a number of the red drives, of course, that are using it, as we talked about. The one terabyte or below are still CMR. Those are older. And that's across the board. That's WD Blue, Red Pro, Red, WD Black, WD Purple. They're all on CMR, those old one terabyte drives. But when you move into the, you know, ever popular two, four, and even six terabyte sizes, that's when you run into some issues because a WD Red is is shingled at that point. It's SMR, whereas the Red Pro is still CMR. The blue can be either one because I'm guessing they're just harvesting reds or whatever they need. 
The black is still CMR, which makes sense because that's a high performance drive. And then purple, of all things, uh, get, don't get, uh, am I wrong? Is not purple their sort of security drive? It, lower that's what performance. it's intended for. Yeah, it's, it's like for but they're all CMR. No, that makes no sense because that would be a, a use case where SMR would be appropriate. Another thing that that the the fact that they put the, SMR the Western Digital Blue, yeah, yeah, the fact I like that, that one. They put SMR into the the red. We've been telling people for years. Anyone I can think of who's ever talked about a NAS or populating a NAS with drives, well, WD Red. I mean, it's like the gold standard. It's it's the one yep. that everybody thinks of first, and of all things for them to sort of sneak SMR into when their purple drives don't even use it, unless this chart is incorrect. I did not recreate this chart. This is a screenshot from their blog post. If you're looking at the news post on our website, which by the way, uses a lovely Alan Malventano image from a 2014 review of a Western digital red drive. But it's, my position, I have a little editorial blurb at the end of this. My position is that WD Red should never have been the series to adopt SMR. If W, if Western Digital was going to do this with anything, do it to the blue drives, do it to blues and and greens if they even still make the greens, and give people who need to put this into a NAS the higher performance drive. Even if that means you have to increase the cost, I don't think people would be complaining as much about a five percent increase in cost or even ten percent as they are about the fact that they were given SMR drives without being told they were SMR drives. And it took users complaining in forums and asking support and getting the runaround or literally being faced with customer support uh, who didn't understand the difference or why, like the scenarios that were being presented to them. They probably didn't have the technical knowledge to understand. It didn't have the information on their screens to say, you know, oh, yes, certain of our drives are SMR, but it's within a certain performance threshold and a price threshold that make it acceptable for us to do this. That never would have worked. This is something where they had to get caught doing it to then sort of backpedal and be a little bit more transparent about it. But I haven't seen any sign that they're going to to change course. But if you look at their competition, uh, Seagate has been happy to come out and say, you know, our uh, our NAS drives, the Iron Wolf use only CMR. And then Toshiba, the N300 drives are all CMR. So if if you're looking for a NAS drive right now in that two or six terabyte, two to six terabyte range, like a four terabyte drive, then you're going to want to look at an N300 or a Seagate Ironwolf unless you're okay with SMR. Because I, it's not on their current product offering for Western Digital unless you buy a Red Pro. And you're going to spend a lot more money on a Red Pro, where the Red, generally, if you look on Amazon, the Red 4 terabyte drive is going to be about the same. You're within about $5 of an N300 from Toshiba. And Seagate Ironwolf might be a few dollars more. But they're all within, like a 4 terabyte drive, I think, is right around the $110 mark right now. Mm. Of course, the, the WD Reds went on sale for like 89 bucks after this news broke. So, I just saw a, uh, an ad from, I think it was Newegg. Two forty nine around that for ten terabyte WD reds. Can that be right? Uh, seems I mean, that, crazy. High. That's that seem high. Yeah, because they were. But at least you guaranteed at CMR. Well, that's what I was well, thinking. Anything over eight is CMR. <laughs> these these drives that I shucked from an Easy Store. You know, these are ten terabyte Western Digital drives. I paid one hundred and fifty nine dollars yeah. for this. Oh, but, that's really good. 
uh, yeah, they, they, when you find the sale, like these typically go on sale for 159 maybe twice a year or something. I bought these last year. I bought three of them. And it, this is obviously not what they want you to do, but this is this is probably an HGST drive or it's a Western Digital Red, but it'll have slightly different firmware, I'm guessing. Yeah. But, you know, other than that whole three, that pin issue, which you can easily circumvent or, you know, Synology NAS is a lot of things already have support for that. Uh, they're perfectly usable. But anyway, anything eight terabytes and up is still safe. It's just, if you want really bad performance, it would, it's the equivalent of of buying an SSD that uses... If you're looking for horrible performance, this is yeah. <laughs> Like we talk about quad level cell QLC, huh. and God help us, yeah. there's five level cell stuff coming. But yep. QLC, it has a purpose. Not that. Yeah, it's it's you can do a lot of big cheap storage with it, but those those write speeds when you're writing a lot of small files to it, it just slows to a crawl. If you want to look at kilobytes per second, if you want to look at the experience of writing to a floppy disk, then. <laughs> That you can actually back it into that corner. I, I loved it. Uh, while Grab it's a been tube. a few years now, but when Alan did the comparison of latency testing when he first started latency percentile and he had the 1.44 uh, megabyte floppy on there, but, I mean, <laughs> certain types of technology work just fine for very small file writes, and certain do not. And they're getting more density with. You know, well, they're able to use fewer platters with this, but it makes a stupidly good gaming drive. How uh, often are you writing when you're gaming? You're you're saving your game. Yeah, I, I don't guess know about so. the qual or the quint level. Uh, we still see how that goes. <laughs> but yeah, the install itself is painful, uh, and you could actually entertain yourself by trying to figure out how many seconds in size your cache is. So you, you can start downloading on Steam, and you'll see it drop down <laughs> to hard drive and then below and see so you pause the download and you bet yourself, okay, if I wait 30 seconds, is that going to be enough for it to clean up? So you wait and you unclick it and it spikes up, but then it goes back down again. Okay. Well, maybe if I give it a minute and it spikes up and it goes for a while and then you can just, and it, it's not a slow, gentle decline. It's a precipitous cliff, but it is kind of amusing to watch. But once the game's there, it honestly doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, and that was cash for those of south of the border, by the way. Just throwing throw yes. that out there. <laughs> cash me outside. Yes, uh, Matt. But so the, the, just to, safely, to, safely, to sum up this, you know, this up. So there is no uh, like uh, like standard response from Western Digital. They're not like doing a recall, but they have said here no. that if you have one of these products that are effective uh, or affected. And you you feel that the performance isn't right. They've asked you to call their customer care people, and and hopefully on a case by case basis, they'll they'll fix it for you. They'll get you a Red Pro or or something. I don't know what their 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 plans are, but there might be some remedy there. So check that out. Check your drives, and uh, don't don't hesitate to you know raise a little hell with them if you are affected by it, because you really shouldn't yeah. have those in your array. You're a dissatisfied a, customer. Yeah. yeah. I, I will add that from my own personal experience, never had a bad customer service experience with Western Digital. I've had drives in the past that have failed. Mm. I think the last one was probably over a decade ago, but I, you know, you fill out the RMA form online and I have always gotten a better product back 
that was another thing. Like I remember hearing a non-tech talk about this. I think it was uh, Brian Klug who's like, yeah, I sent in this one drive. I got one that was like twice the capacity back. That happens. Those, those are not, it's kind of like the Apple store thing. You go into an Apple store and depending on the genius you got in the store and how much you cried, you might walk out with the next model up. That actually happened to me once uh, many years ago. I had an iMac that I had managed to fry with like, I've shorted out the USB ports in the back of it with a improperly. It was a laser printer with the wrong polarity outlet. And somehow when I plugged the USB port into the back of the iMac, it fried the whole logic board. Anyway, uh, walked into an Apple store, walked out with the next year's model iMac brand new in the box. So there were times when, you know, you'd be taken care of like that. Same with Western Digital. They could very well take your, you know, two or four terabyte drive you're not happy with. You might get a better model back. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe you'll get a Red Pro instead of a Red. Mm. But we will see if they make this right for people who notice and care. But again, NAS was not the place. You don't mess with NAS. All right, uh, let's get this wrapped up here. We got a couple more news stories to talk about. Uh, first is there's a birthday here, uh, a 35th anniversary for the leading, the world's leading processor, and it's not x86. Oh no! What have we got, Jeremy? Oh, I, those of you that remember Acorn, uh, and as a wonderful commentator uh, reminded me of uh and of course i didn't have the uh, link up but uh there's a movie talking about the original fight between acorn and sinclair but acorn uh was the company that uh, the bbc originally went to to design uh the processors that they were going to be using in their computers that ran the vast majority of what they were doing and so you had two uh two main people uh steve ferber uh, who was running most of the business of it. And Sophie Wilson, who was an engineer that literally at one point figured out instruction sets in her head, just didn't bother to even write them down and programmed it on the fly. So they, back in uh, 35 years ago, developed uh, a processor that uh, was called the Acorn Risk Machine. And a couple of years later, uh, this became... Uh, a 32-bit risk processor that was available uh, for purchase for anyone that could afford a microcomputer uh, back when the microcomputer was a thing. And the frickin' thing worked on 808 lines of code. It worked beautifully well. Uh, hey, that was this basic was, code, by the way. It was basic, yeah. written in business. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is also, and one of the, and this is one of my favorite parts about it is, the first time they booted up it, the chip scared the hell out of them because it powered up off of the IO interface power before they could switch the power supply on. They expected the processor to need to run so that they started out low, low power and realized that this was a really, really good thing. So, you know, jump forward a couple of years later to that uh, picture and sure enough, uh, at the time Apple started sniffing around them. And so what was the original arm one processor, uh, which was a co-processor co-processor easy for me to say of the acorn machines 
drew the attention of Apple because it was kicking the snot out of Intel's brand new 8286 architecture. And so they sort of, you know, talked about purchasing them and uh, went on to not wonderful uh, results with the Newton. But the good news is that it also convinced these two people to split off the research and development section of Acorn into the Advanced Risk Machines Company, which we now know and love as ARM. This is back uh, just before the 90s that they decided to do that. And so on the one hand, you had, you know, Newton and some not great, uh, you know, PDA products and such. At the same time, the ARM section uh, found itself in a phone that people still to this day remember, the Nokia 6110. Uh, it, if you played Snake, you didn't play it until you played it on this. And so they, they just kept growing. I, God knows how many billions of uh, ARM processors there are out there. Like, it... it there are more ARM processors on the planet than there are systems running any other architecture on the planet. And it's not going to change because they're everywhere. And they've had such a huge influence. We've seen Intel incorporate uh, ARM into certain uh, processor architecture. We've seen the, the entire mobile phone industry move uh, from some very questionable uh built-in house chips to the the, 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 Cor the Cortex ecosystem that is literally ubiquitous nowadays. And there was a time when ubiquitous computing was something that was tossed around as a, a goal to reach. And, you know, everything is going to be having some compute power to it. Well, ARM. ARM has pretty much reached that because I don't care what you have, be it a smart light bulb, the, the webcam I'm talking to you on, it's got an ARM chip inside of it. They don't cost much. They don't draw a lot of power. They don't get a lot of pop uh, of uh, press coverage unless you really pay attention to this sort of thing. But they're everywhere. And it's got to be one of the biggest success stories going uh, from, you know, just small beginnings of the BBC needing microcomputers to be able to handle uh, their, their shift over to the new type of broadcasting to, you know, what is now running everything. Uh, NVIDIA actually ported CUDA to it and is doing interconnects without an x86 yes. on, at the supercomputer level. So that is extremely impressive. If you think about it and cutting Intel out of that <laughs> is, uh, mm -hmm. well, good for NVIDIA, I guess. Good for it's, them. It's uh, anyway. Mellanox. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, Mellanox that uh, NVIDIA picked up. So now they don't care at all about x86 because they got their own fabric. It happily talks between GPUs. And like you say, it's ARM processors that can actually run CUDA with CUDA that are yeah. running those interconnects. Yeah. So essentially they can provide a box and go, Hey, would you like a supercomputer? Yeah, here you go. No, no x86 uh, license uh, needed on that. Yeah. All right. Our last news story, let's uh, finish up here, is uh, just a quick mention that uh, Gears Tactics, which is uh, Microsoft's new Gears of War franchise game, but it's it's a uh, different from the first-person shooters that have come before. It's a XCOM-style turn-based strategy game, and uh, it's launched. And the, the, the interesting part, I guess, is uh, it's launched 
with Microsoft's uh, Game Pass and Play Anywhere stuff, you if you're a Game Pass subscriber, it's day and date available to play with that subscription. So you can you can pick it up there. Uh, have, have you played with this yet, Jeremy? Well, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I've never played a single Gears game in my life. But you like Xbox? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. And so reading through this review, I'm like, there, there are reasons that I've never played Gears of War. Um, because, you know, I, I've gone through my co-op cover shooter days and, you know, I'm sure it is a lovely, wonderful game with lots of over-the-top gore and violence, but if I want that, I'll play Warhammer 40k. But what blows me away is that the review is saying it works. And this is coming from somebody that uh, loves XCOM, but also really, really enjoyed the Gears franchise. And so the, the one of the basic ideas that they carry forward from the, the first-person shooter is the concept of the execution. So if you knocked an enemy down, you use your chainsaw bayonet to take them out. In this game, you do so, and it gives every single other squad member on your team an extra action point. Hopefully, you know, chain them together and away you go because it keeps the whole swarms of enemies constantly coming at you. You are totally and completely outnumbered at all times. Just incredibly tough. Uh, there are boss fights, as you can see up on the screen there, with uh, what apparently is a StarCraft tank that had sex with uh, some sort of ogre. But regardless, I... Uh, so you still get those sort of uh, the gears sort of adrenaline surge and the fact that you just got to keep pushing and keep pushing. So it's actually made me interested. Uh, it's it's released at uh, 80 Canadian, which is a little off putting, but understandable considering the uh, impact of the franchise and who they're aiming at. But it, so if you like XCOM and you like Gears of War, from the sounds of it, you're actually really going to enjoy this thing. And if I see it on sale, I may well pick it up. And don't, don't, yeah, don't spend 80, uh, but uh, what does Game Pass cost up there, Jeremy? 15 a month? Uh, yeah, it sounds a bit right. Uh, 18.99 or something like that, yeah. Just subscribe to that, play it to your heart's content for a month along with anything else, and then you can just unsubscribe. And hmm. So it's a pretty good, very consumer-friendly system that Microsoft's got going right now, I think, uh, with the whole Game Pass stuff and day-and-date launches. If you uh, if you like XCOM and those sort of turn based uh, games, uh, try Mutant Year Zero: uh, Road to Eden. Actually, that's pretty cool. I've played that. Yeah, it's uh, on my wish list. You know, I haven't picked it up yet. It's actually based on an old RPG, and uh, they did a fairly decent move. And they've come out with at least okay. one DLC for it. And uh, it's XCOM like. It's got a little bit more story, a little bit more explore to it than XCOM. XCOM was more of a uh, build and uh, and go out, and it's still got ladder development and things like that. But Mutant Year Zero has held my attention, um, and it's very different. Uh, but it's very very cool still from a story perspective and a turn by turn basis, and a lot of interactive or interaction between your different characters and laddering them up and getting different. It, it may look a little ridiculous, but it's still a cool uh, turn by turn. Very, it, it could be played strategic, or you, you can't really run and gun. Uh, you have to actually strategy well, the, the maps. Yeah, so it's it's pretty yeah. good. You, you might enjoy that. Yeah, but I got Wasteland Three coming out soon. Um, I've got this. That's gonna that's uh, gonna kill you. Good old game. The Atom RPG uh, that came out uh, via good old games that I still keep meaning to take a look at. Uh, as I mentioned, like a stupid amount of Warhammer 40k games I haven't chewed my way through. So it's 
it's on the list. It's it's literally on my wish list. So if it goes on sale, I'm going to get a notification and give it a try. Well, lately I've been sort of weak about uh, resisting new games. Well, we've all got a lot of time on our hands now, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Daniel in our YouTube chat is reminding us that Mutant Year Zero is also in Game Pass. So, oh, cool. And both. Yeah. yeah. All right, we've got two reviews uh, to uh, to. To cover this week. Now, the first one, uh, if, if you noticed at the beginning of the show, we had a little pre-roll from our, our sponsor, Be Quiet, and the pre-roll was for this product that we're about to review, which is a, the PureBase 500DX case. And I just wanted to, in, in sort of keeping with our review disclaimers uh, at the bottom of our articles, our review articles, I just wanted to clarify uh, our arrangement with Be Quiet for the pre-roll is they get a certain amount per month and they can whatever they want us to show in the pre-roll is they, they choose, but this is separate from this review. This was not a sponsored review. Sebastian received the product on loan as he does with most review arrangements, but be quiet. Didn't pay for this review. They didn't have any control. They didn't get to see the, the content or control anything. It was, it's just a standard review. It just happens that they wanted to feature this product because it just launched in their pre-roll. So, so that's the disclaimer there. Uh, it, it, it was a paid pre-roll that happened to feature this product, but Sebastian had no uh, involvement. There was no be quiet involvement with uh, the review itself. No. And it was one of those things where we were, we had the case in advance, which we almost always do, whether it's fractal design or Corsair or be quiet or FSP. Anytime we agree to do a case review, typically PR reaches out a month, sometimes two months out says, Hey, this case launch is coming up under NDA. Are you willing to accept it? Is there any way you can have the review done for release? That's what they always want. PR always wants it on release day. That's why you see a million reviews for the same product always go up at the same time on release day. So we always say, if we can make it, like, yeah, yeah I think we can do that. Okay, pencil me in. Uh, we go on a list. If there's enough allocation of review samples, we'll get one in advance. It sits around here. I procrastinate. And then it's like, oh, crap, the launch is in three days. I should probably do a build with that and write a review about it. And that's what always happens. So... The fact that separate from this, Be Quiet also is a sponsor of the site really doesn't mean anything. Think about the old days. Think about PC hardware journalism in general and how, you know, for many years, Ryan and Kyle at Hard OCP and anybody running a website that had little display ads on the side and the top. If you have like 18 different companies over the course of a couple of years buy display ads, at various times for maybe a year or for six months, whatever the agreement is. And during that span of time, you review a product. Like if we had a HyperX display ad and we did a review for a HyperX keyboard, you could point to that. And if we have a Corsair sidebar ad and we review a Corsair mouse, then you can point to that. But at any given time, you're, you can't recuse yourself entirely from reviewing products by a company that also buys a small display ad without causing havoc with the release schedule because like this Be Quiet case launched, I had a review done for launch day. It actually published with the embargo lift. And even though every review I've seen has been very positive about this case, there could be questions about how valid is it? You know, we accepted money for advertising and we reviewed this case favorably, but enough of a disclaimer that's actually printed right in the review. If you want to read the full disclosure terms and everything, but the case is very close to the the pure. And I, by the way, the name of the case it's the Pure Base 500DX. 
their bigger cases are the dark base. I reviewed a white dark base 700 last year, and I, it threw me a little bit because I've always thought of Be Quiet as being all black. It was all black everything, black power supplies, black cases, uh, black coolers, and they came out with a white case. And I kept thinking to myself, okay, it's the white, black, or the white, dark base 700. But then the pure base 500 came out this past September. And I wrote dark base, I think, every time and had to go back and change it. And this time, I not only wrote dark base 500, had dark base 500 as the review title. Dark base 500 was mentioned in the review about 20 times. I had to do like a find replace. I may have missed one. And then all of my images were titled Dark Base 500 DX, whatever. I went back and actually replaced all the images so they'd have the correct pure base 500 DX and they would be searchable that way. So enough of the backstory of this, the saga of this review. Uh, it's a very good case. They took the 500, the pure base 500, which was a low cost, 75 ish dollar case with a solid side panel and about 80. It was between 70 and 80, I think, depending on which side panel you got. Uh, I think it's currently selling for about 85. And this is 99, 99.90 US dollars list. So for a $100 case, they went with a mesh front panel. So it's, of course, it's trendy all of a sudden to prioritize airflow, even though it seems like kind of an obvious thing. The trend really for the last, nearly the last decade has been to move away from open front panel designs, go to solid front panel designs, get rid of all of the five and a quarter inch external drive bays, create these open internal layouts with solid front panels that are often made out of glass or something that's ornate. And you prioritize the aesthetics of the front of the case over the functionality of airflow. And the wonderful trend of the last year or two is to bring back airflow, where we used to have cases like the, the high airflow series from Corsair, like the airflow the the 540, I think, cases like that. And now we have more and more companies like Fractal did the Meshify C a year or two ago, and now we have cases like this. And this is the first time I've actually seen a Be Quiet case with a mesh front panel. We've seen solid front panels in every previous model. And if you have enough airflow and you have quiet enough fans in your system, it still shouldn't be louder. The whole concept is compare this even to the, the pure base 500 with the solid front panel the fans theoretically would spin at a slower rate of speed providing the same thermal performance as the one with the solid front panel with faster fans but anyway uh the the build of this is going to be identical to the pure base 500 the difference is that split mesh front panel design it's a metal grill kind of like a high-end speaker grill sort of for like a vehicle but it also integrates ARGB lighting. So if you like ARGB, it's fairly subtle. I mean, this is a little bit more front and center than the, the Dark Base 700 was, which just had like an edge strip. This has two strips right up in the front, which you can control with a little button on the top IO, cycle between all the different colors and patterns that are available, or just plug it into an available motherboard header like I do. And you have it synced with your system's uh, ARGB light scheme. There's also a pre-installed ARGB light strip on the inside edge of the top of the case. So quite a bit of lighting actually inside of a white case like this. So if you don't like the 
the ARGB effect, you can completely disable it. Or I would recommend if you're not really big into bright RGB lighting, get the black version because the black version is not going to be as bright on the inside. Be a little bit more of a muted effect. But the the $99 price, it has the features I just mentioned. It has a glass side panel. It's a four millimeter thick tempered glass side panel. Perfectly clear. They don't tint their side panels on these. So uh, the Dark Base 700 that we looked at last year, this one, it it it's like there's no side panel installed when you have it there. Uh, very nice if you're trying to show off your build. So the performance of the case obviously matters. This is a very compact design. If you put a standard ATX board in here, a 12 by 9.6 inch board, it's going to pretty much fill the component chamber top to bottom. There's just enough room up top for fans. And they have a pre-installed 140 millimeter fan up top, 140 millimeter fan on the rear and front uh, pre-installed. You really don't have official support for radiators up top. If you want to put liquid cooling in this case, you're either going to be stuck with 120 or 140 millimeter liquid cooler on the back. You'd probably get away with even a thicker 120 on the top because you it would be far enough away from the motherboard to make that work. But you could put up to a 360 up front. So the front is where you're going to want to put your liquid cooler because that's where the additional space is. It's a very small case, as I mentioned. So beyond that, like if you understand that we're talking about a, a very compact ATX design, among the smaller of the ATX cases you can buy, not the smallest, uh, it performs extremely well. I just compared it against this particular set of components on the open test bench before I installed it in the case and then after installing it into the case, and the temperatures did not rise very much at all. In fact, they have the lowest rise of any recently tested case, and it's all due to just excellent airflow. There are times when a high airflow case will give you better performance than an open test bench. I think back to like the old Silverstone Fortress FTO2 that I had with the giant triple 180 millimeter fans at the bottom. It was a, a rotated layout, so all the hot air was being pushed right out the top. That would perform better than an open test bench. But it was kind of loud. Those fans were not especially quiet. The fans in this case were the loudest part of my build, and it was still only 34.5 decibels. And that was at idle and load. So I put the sound pressure meter where I was standing, which was one foot away from the front left corner of the case, and it was still only 34.5 decibels. And I was running the Metro Exodus benchmark over and over again. I had it on multiple iterations to let the system heat up in my little simulated gaming load. And it still was very quiet and the temperatures were excellent. We only saw a rise of like two degrees over an open test bench situation with both the GPU and CPU. So that's very good. We usually see a rise of at least five to 10, depending on the case and the airflow. And a small design like this to have these numbers, it's a testament to the airflow. So between the build quality the excellent uh, thermals, the fact that the included fans are of high quality. These are not cheap fans. They're quiet fans. They're three-pin. They're not four-pin fans. So you're, you're that 34.5 decibels that I was getting, that's what you're stuck with unless you use a fan controller. But overall, I was very impressed with the case. And I, I liked the 500. I think the 500DX is just a huge upgrade. If you don't like the aesthetics, that's the only thing I can really see that might be galvanizing the people to look at it, especially the white one and see the split grill. Maybe you don't like the way the light bars look. 
Uh, get the black one and then turn the lighting off. At $100, the closest case I can think of to that competes with it is uh, the the 200, the 220T. I think it's the Corsair Carbide 220T that I reviewed not too long ago. That that also comes with three high-quality fans. It's going to come down to... And that one was really galvanizing as far as aesthetics go because it had this sort of asymmetrical pattern to the front panel. Uh, the two are similar enough in size that you're basically getting almost exactly the same build experience and the same storage support. And in fact, I, I have identical builds with this. So you could compare those two reviews directly as far as the thermal performance and noise. But... Uh, very impressed with the case. And uh, I did give it the Editor's Choice Award, which, take that for what you will. I just thought, I liked the other one. This one's a lot better. We don't do a number rating system. I will say, I think it was Kit Guru, a couple sites out there that do numbered systems. I think they give it an 8.5 out of 10. I would absolutely put it somewhere between an 8 and a 9 out of 10. It's not perfect. No case is. It's really good. And when anything is not only a good performer, but also a good value. Like I think the the cost of the case, if you think about like typical case cost, the fact that they took what was an affordable case, they upgraded it with integrated ARGB and they only raised the price about 20 bucks. I find that to be a good value. Just like I found the Corsair 220T to be a really good value because of the fans that includes. So anyway, check out the review if you want to see all the detailed close-up pictures of the interior and what the finished build looked like and everything. Uh, cable management, I will add as a footnote, was also very good in this case. So no complaints here. All right. So again, that's the uh, Be Quiet Pure Base 500DX. And that's, the, as Sebastian said, this is the uh, upgrade to the 500, which came out last year. So if you're shopping for this, make sure you're looking for that 500DX. And it, it uh, I believe it's it's shipping. I saw on Newegg that they had uh, in stock already. So Great. Uh, let's uh, finish up our reviews this week. We've got one more from Sebastian. Uh, let's talk about audio now. And this is the Sennheiser GSP 370 wireless gaming headset. Indeed. And hey, we have absolutely no advertising relationship with EPOS or Sennheiser, so we can you can just crap all over this product, uh, which I also gave an editor's choice award, by the way. Uh, excellent gaming headset. I will say right off the bat, it looks kind of big and i of course i left it upstairs i think no it's right here it's it's kind of on the large-ish side not too bad but it's very light it's it's just over 10 ounces it's like 284 grams or something and very comfortable has this split headband design uh which actually felt very nice there's a a solid padding level in the top and then the split design kind of increases the, the surface area. So it's not, it doesn't feel heavy against your head at all. Plus it's, it's light anyway. The ear pads have a very good uh, cushion on them, but not just, they're not just soft. The material, it's like a leather-like material, but then the, the surface that actually touches your face, which you won't be able to see, it's just going to look black, is a sort of a velvet feel. So these, these never felt like sticky. There's no shiny surface to get sticky from your own sweat over a long period of time. I wore these for hours at a time and they never felt uncomfortable. I've I've worn gaming headsets that were absolutely great for the first hour or two and then they start to kind of there's sort of an uncomfortable pressure against your ears, especially if you have larger ears and the ear cups don't go all the way around them. 
So then maybe part of your ear is being pressed against the side of your head. I didn't have any of those issues. The ear cups themselves are of, of a significant enough size. They should go around most people's ears. And the effect is to seal out a lot of outside noise. These have very good noise suppression. They're not active noise canceling headphones. So when you put them on, you'll still hear stuff. It's just significantly muted. Uh, the microphone, I will, I'll briefly mention, because this is a gaming headset, the boom comes down and at about the 45 degree mark, there's a little click, which you can barely hear. And then at that point, the mute has been disengaged and the mic is on. You raise it, automatically mutes the mic. Microphone sounds very good for a gaming headset microphone. Not the best I've ever heard, but it does a very good job. I think it's probably the best I've ever uh, tested as far as noise rejection. So just like they're very good at noise isolation, the design of the microphone rejects outside noise very well. It's extremely directional towards your mouth. And I tested it myself in a room with my son who was very loudly playing with some toys. And uh, it was, you could barely hear him in the background. So it's a very good chat headset. It'd be a very good headset for doing like Microsoft Teams calls or WebEx uh, presentations or something. Uh, the software, by the way, that powers these, it, there's an option to enable a, an active noise cancellation, a software noise cancellation with the microphone. So I'm guessing it's something similar to what's built into Discord. That is grayed out. So they're not currently supporting it. It's something they could bring in a firmware update. But uh, I did almost all my testing with them just in their default state. It's a 2.4 gigahertz wireless headset. So you need a USB dongle. And I prefer this because a dongle means higher sound quality. It means you're not compressing the audio with the SBC standard. Like it's not doing uh, psychoacoustic stuff to your sound. It's just broadcasting basically a lossless wireless signal that has almost no latency. So I tried it with everything I could get my hands on. I, I had it on the PC. I tried it on a Mac. I booted up a Linux distro. I did Ubuntu 18.04 LTS. Tried it in a VM of uh, Ubuntu 20.04. That worked just fine. Anywhere I took this headset, I had zero issues, including with the USB lightning adapter on an iPhone. And then it just became my default iPhone headset. Of course, I was walking around with this thing dangling off the end of the phone because you have to use a, a dongle to get to USB and then plug this in. This is not a Bluetooth headset. It has no Bluetooth capabilities. The highest end model from Sennheiser, the GSP 670, adds Bluetooth. So if you need Bluetooth, get that one or one of the myriad other Bluetooth options that are out there. This is strictly for USB, low latency, 2.4 gigahertz. And it worked very well. Sound is very balanced. No prominent... I, I could get into like the nuances of the sound. It's very clear, very balanced, very high-end kind of sound. And I kept thinking I was wearing wired headphones, especially with the iPhone, because I keep lossless music on my phone locally instead of streaming, because I'm that weird person who still does that. So I have CD rips on my phone, whatever phone that might be. And to be able to go without any kind of Bluetooth compression wirelessly to a headset, it was great. It was phenomenal sound. So very similar to one of their own higher-end wired headphones. It had kind of that similar sound to maybe a Grado, not quite as 
bright sounding as Grado. They're very balanced, as I mentioned, and very good lower bass response too. They're not going to blow you away. I had my wife test these. She's very picky about headphones and she's a big bass head. And when she saw that in the software, you could enable your own EQ settings and the music equalization setting defaults to the classic smile EQ. And Shocking. She lo- yeah, she loved it. I set it to the music preset. She's like, oh, that's great. That's much better. Much better. Like, oh, it's worse. <laughs> and that's all she wanted to listen to. You know, R&B music with the smile EQ. Mids are for losers. In the YouTube microphone. Chat, wondering, yeah, is, what, do you know what the pattern on the mic is? Unidirectional. Okay. So I, I know some of these, some of the boom mics, I think, are Omni, which is a recipe yeah, for it's disaster. Weird. It's weird. But yeah, it's this cheap. is a unidirectional mic. I guess, so yeah. Once you have it close to your face, it is pretty much only picking up your mouth. And I was very impressed by that. It still sounds like you're talking on a phone. It's still that kind of like limited frequency range mm. that's like that classic telephone kind of sound where it's very mid-rangey. But it's clear enough and very good background noise suppression. But I mean, these are... They're expensive. This is not some budget gaming headsets. You'd expect quality. These are $200. So I've definitely tried out more expensive headsets. I think these I think these sound better and would probably measure better than the Odyssey HyperX headphones we talked about last year. And those are $300. And that that's a a significant savings over what Odyssey charges or Odyssey, however you pronounce the name. For their planar magnetic gaming headsets, which I think are four to five hundred dollars, and of course the LCDs, you can go up well over three thousand dollars with their headphones. But and of course you can go that high with Sennheisers too. But this is a, a very Sennheiser kind of a sound. It's a high end headphone sound. It's a gaming headset, and if you can live without Bluetooth, I don't know why you'd want to buy a higher quality headset to listen to Bluetooth anyway. But these were great. They were great with the PS4. They were great with the PC. They didn't require any kind of drivers or anything. You can download their Windows-only software if you want to play with your own EQ. There was also, a, I'll mention briefly, there is a simulated 7.1 surround effect that you can enable. It sounds like the hall setting on an old receiver where it just makes everything kind of echo a little bit. It sounds more spacious, but it didn't really have that pinpoint kind of directionality. It's still, the best I've ever heard was... Logitech, when they first came out with the new driver design, it was the Artemis Pro Spectrum G933, I want to say. Phenomenal positional audio. But that was using like Dolby Headphone and DTS Headphone X. And those technologies are better than whatever they're using for this. This sounded a lot like the simulated surround uh, from the HyperX Odyssey set, so whatever that is. But... uh Anyway, if you've got 200 to spend and you favor a balanced sound and high fidelity, then these are great. You're not going to put these on and be blown away by the lower bass response, though. It's it's there, but it's not prominent in the mix. If anything, mid-range is slightly forward in this mix. So you'd want to use the EQ and bring up the bass a little bit if that's the sound you prefer. But I thought these were great. You could listen to music critically with these if you're into that and then also 
play games and watch video and then have like a chat with somebody and it's it's not going to affect the experience. Test out the 10 meter range great. at all? Oh yeah, I talked about that in the review. Yeah, how far did you get away from the dongle? The dongle position was crucial. Do not put this Wait. on a back. Don't this dangle like your fun ball. This is like happy yeah. fun ball. Do not taunt the yeah. dongle. When when I was carrying this around in my pocket, I will admit that it was kind of raunchy. I mean, the the dongle was hanging out the front of my pants uh, on its little USB cable, and I got great reception that way. Though, I it was well received. But if I had this on the back port of my tower and then walked around the corner, I started to cut out on almost immediately. The 10 meter range is line of sight. That's, you know, what is 10 meters? Roughly 30 feet or so, a little more than that. So yeah. I, I could walk 30 feet. I could walk 30 feet, but it started to break up and it would break up a lot sooner in my worst case scenario home when I walk around the corner, because I have lath and plaster walls. Mm. My house is from, was built in 1929. So range was not great. Definitely. If you're near your PC, it's fine. But if you are not near your PC and you want to use it all around your house, put it up top, like put it on a top USB port on your case and you're fine. I didn't have any issues with that. Mm. I didn't have any issues with it in the PS4 when it was in the PS4, because that's on a shelf. It was right in the front. And then it was broadcasting all around the room and in the next room, and that was fine. And I could actually walk all the way outside. I had the Final Fantasy VII remake on the PS4 Pro, and I was outside taking the trash out. And it's it worked all the way around the corner of the house. Started to break up when I was on the opposite side of my house, but when I walked back in, it, it came back. So, Oh, and the microwave affected it. So, you know, hey, it's 2.4 gigahertz. 2.4 gigahertz. No, that is reasonable. Okay, well, so that's the uh, the reviews and stuff. Let's uh, finish up the show with our picks of the week. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I've got something here. This is uh, there's there's a guy on on YouTube. Uh, the account name is called Ryan's Edits, and this is what he calls integrated outtakes or intakes. And so it's with Star Trek: The Next Generation. And what he's done is if uh, if you have like the Blu-ray set, there's there's outtakes that they give you, as they do with most shows, and he has edited the outtakes into the final episode <laughs> in some very humorous ways. He's only got, he's nice. got eight of them here, he's, but he's been releasing like you know one or two a week for for a bit here. So bookmark this playlist, and I've got a couple here. Uh, I'm gonna try to play here. So here's one of them. There is no question about it, sir. It is his signal. Commander Riker, do you read me? Riker to Picard. I'm here. Are you all right? Yes, sir, I'm all right. What about Geordi and Worf? We beamed them up an hour ago. Oh, they're fine. But we lost you in mid-transport. Where have you been? What is going on down there? I'm not sure yet, sir. But I think I'm about to find out. Stand by. So, very subtle there. The uh, if, if you're listening to the audio, there was an well, outtake where Geordi uh, and Worf give each other a high five that they've beamed back successfully. Uh, and then here's a, a quick one uh, as well with uh, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. I just don't get it, Guinan. I can field strip a fusion reactor. I can realign a power transfer tunnel. Why can't I make anything work with a woman like Christy? It's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Did you ever consider trying to f*** the program? 
I didn't think so. <laughs> Seriously? Seriously. Why? That's my point. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, they're, they're subtle so like you'll find one outtake that could fit and then just edit it in very very neatly uh so they're those oh, are fun so check deadpan. those out that's great yep and then also uh real quick uh kent burgess who's a, a fan of the site and a contributor uh, he's done some great reviews for us he sent me a link to a sale over at gog it's the square enix sale uh at gog True. there's uh a bunch of uh, Square Enix titles uh, on some pretty good sales, as GOG usually has. Like some of these games here are like normally seven dollars, and they're now ninety-seven cents, or twenty dollars, and it's now two ninety-nine. So Deus Ex, and, pick up uh, Daikatana yes, today. Daika. You have no Daika, yes. If you haven't Not played Romero's it, don't die epic. without playing it. Yep. Anyway, all right. Next up is so we have links to uh, that sale and to the uh, playlist for the Star Trek intakes. And next up is Jeremy. Um. So. You know, being locked inside, you, you've probably taken up cleaning. And, you know, you, you might have some old equipment that you're like, all right, I'm going to get out the isopropyl and clean up some of the crap and dust that's accumulated on my circuit boards over the years. And you realize that, well, crap, I'm actually out of ISO. And then you quickly realize that everything is out of isopropyl alcohol. You just, you can't buy it. it it's almost as rare as toilet paper. Hackaday took a look at a couple of alternatives and they were nice enough to test them out for you. So you don't have to realize that, you know, uh, the oven cleaner might not be the best idea unless it's certain types of electronics, in which case, you know what? It works. I'm still not sure about that flu. Uh, it's not a cleaning product I'm used to. And right now I don't know if I want to use it, but take a look and they go through a bunch of them uh, that are fairly low cost and will be available and have been proven safe for various types of solder. So, you know, give it a shot if you're, you're bored as hell. And like me, you got a cranky ass stereo in the back there that likes to overheat and stop working for about six hours at a time. Warning, All use right. plenty of ventilation with the oven cleaner, by the way. Well, <laughs> it's more fun if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> as long as yeah, you wake yeah. up. <laughs> it's called time traveling after you pass out for a few hours. <laughs> I mean, you can't go to the movie theater. You can't go to the park. You got to entertain yourself somehow. Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. It's low-cost entertainment, and it's legal. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we recommend it. PC Perspective official position is to okay. inhale oven cleaner. No, no, it's not. No, 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 no. <laughs> I thought that's what it was. I was getting that vibe from us. <laughs> mm -hmm. Blackerhead has does not one desire. This organization. The funny not, thing is Jim always has to be the responsible one. Well, because I'm the one who's going to get sued. So, oh, yeah. Jim owns or, it. Or personally prosecuted. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sebastian, you've got a, uh, a video here from a, uh, a channel, YouTube channel I really like. Uh, it's Technology Connections. Uh, what does he got yes. for us here? Well, he. I think in the last 24 hours, this was his latest upload. It's the, I think, the definitive answer to the question, what the hell is the difference between... DVD plus R and DVD R. And this is of particular interest to me because I worked in retail uh, selling people blank media for years. And this question came up so many times and he does a brilliant job of explaining it in a very accessible way, even though it's a highly technical subject. 
And he's a, he's a funny guy. Like he's gotten a lot more comfortable, I think, with this over the last couple of years. And he's he's injects his own humor into this. It's not as dull as you th- might think it would be from a subject matter. It's an extremely well produced video. And it's just like his video about like PlayStation copy protection or any of the previous videos that he's done on different technologies and how they worked. But to actually learn why there was a difference between plus R and R, which was very often called DVD minus R erroneously. It always drove me nuts. I would tell people, no, it's just DVD recordable. And then there's also this other format called DVD plus R. And it was basically the recording technology itself differed slightly. And just watch the video if you're at all interested in what the difference is. But uh, I just, it brought back a lot of painful memories trying to explain why somebody who bought a DVD burner before 2002 couldn't use DVD plus R blank media, even though that was the kind that went on sale that way for $11.99 for a 50 pack. He had to get the dash R which was more expensive that week and he didn't understand it wasn't happy. And then of course I got it back in returns when he took it home anyway and it didn't work. So just, you know, a lot of, a lot of that. It was very painful. Okay. Brett, uh, finish us up here. All right. You know, so this is a common problem, especially lately. And you're sitting in your comfy couch or your comfy chair and you're like, where do I plug my laptop in? How do I charge my phone? You got to pull that that extension cord around. You got to plug in your wall wart in order to get a USB, you know, out of it. But there is a solution. So I saw this come across uh, Woot the other day and they sold out. This is maybe a mite expensive for what it is, but it's actually fairly cool. It's pretty simple. It is a uh, dual, uh, I think it's 2.1 or oh, 3.1 amp dual USB on uh, on one end and a standard three prong outlet on the other end. And it's designed to fit in your couch or your most comfortable chair and kind of tuck into the side where you're not going to sit on it. So uh, yeah, it might be a little expensive for what it is, but you'll probably be thankful that it's there. Um, because, you know, who hasn't been annoyed by, okay, this, yeah, this, yeah, exactly. You know, I've got this exact situation out in my living room right now with like USB bricks sitting by the side of the couch and wires, you know, flipping all over the place and, and laptops get, get out there on a, on a tray or a stand or whatever people charging their phones that would be better. So there you go. There's my pick. Pretty simple. Nice. That's the link to home sofa socket. Well, anyway, uh, that's our show for this week, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we uh, will be back next week with Josh as well. Uh, he couldn't make it tonight, but don't worry. He's every, every time there's somebody missing, like one of the first comments is, oh, no, who quit? Who got fired? Whatever. Uh, no, just uh, just scheduling. We're all remote and sometimes difficult to, to get together uh, at, a, at the same time. But uh uh, we're glad you could join us here. We're, we're glad you could be with us. Uh, please uh, check out, uh, if you're listening on demand, please uh, check out the show notes over at pcpro.com slash podcast. And we'll have all the links that we mentioned and the picks of the week. And, uh, and yeah, just uh, we hope everyone continues to uh, stay safe and stay well, stay healthy. And we'll see you next time. 